Hello and welcome to Public Sector Perspectives, exploring the world of the public sector in Victoria. I'm Nick Bastow. One of the challenges that faces all long-term public sector institutions is renewal, bringing in new people with new ideas and new insights, and building and rebuilding a sector that better reflects the community it serves. In today's episode of Public Sector Perspectives, we talk to someone who epitomises that renewal. Bonnie Kavanagh is a Program Manager in the Media and Corporate Communications Unit in Victoria Police. She's worked at Victoria Police for more than 12 years, starting off as a forensic officer, providing frontline forensic technical expertise, and then moving into senior policy and project positions, and then a Program Manager position. Bonnie Kavanagh is also a Tangarong woman. The Tangarong people occupy much of central Victoria, the rivers and mountain country, including the land around the Campaspe River, Kilmore, Mount Beauty and Benalla. In 2018, Bonnie Kavanagh won IPA Victoria's Young Indigenous Leadership Scholarship, which is awarded every two years to a high-performing Aboriginal person who displays significant leadership potential and dedication to the public sector. All of which means that Bonnie Kavanagh has some unique insights into the work of the public sector, how it can better reflect the community it serves, and how it can better attract young people who bring in new ideas and new perspectives. So I began by asking her, what was she currently working on? I'm managing uh, an external stakeholder partnership program for the Chief Commissioner, uh, basically bringing in all senior stakeholders um, from across government, from private industry, from uh, not-for-profits, from community sectors, to bring them into the police academy for a couple of days. And they actually get run through some scenario-based training and they learn a little bit about um, how police go through their training for family violence, mental health, Bit of a, um, you know, an exclusive insight into yeah. the back end of police. And it's been, it was such an exciting program to be running and, you know, getting people in just so that they could learn a bit more, you know, opening the doors as much as we could. <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, there's a few little things that we might not be showing, but uh, for operational reasons. But um, it was such a great program to get off the ground just to sort of, you know, be open and transparent about, you know, how mm. decisions are made. What's our yeah. training like? And, and of course, um, you know, that ran for a few programs and then we got affected by the bushfires and then <laughs> the coronavirus. So unfortunately, we've only done about four of them, but that's yeah. my substantive position at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't just a discussion about COVID-19, but it's a mm-hmm. big part of everyone's lives at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to take you back to the moment when you first realised how big the COVID crisis was going to be. We've asked a few people this question. What had what had just happened? And do you remember what the first related, the first work related thing you did that was related to COVID was? It's very interesting because as you asked that question, straight away I know when I sort of realised it was oh my god, and it was more in my community, my community role. So I'll sort of touch on that before I go into the Vic Pole one. Um, so we were actually running. Um, long story short, our major fundraiser every year is probably in March, April. <laughs> And it attracts thousands of people. It's a swap meet. So, um, of course, when the coronavirus started up and we're hearing all these things about restrictions and I'm thinking, oh, my God, our major fundraiser, (laughs) what are we going to do? And um, uh, we had the swap meet booked in for the 15th of March and it was on the 16th of March when the mass gatherings restriction came in. So just by the skin of our teeth, but um, obviously crowds were down and whatnot. So it was semi-successful, but nowhere near as what we normally would. And that's sort of where I was like, 
wow. And that's where a lot of things started to tick over in a community sense. From a Victoria Police perspective, you know, working in the media and corporate comms department and running a program that was put on hold due to these things, um, obviously I was repurposed. <laughs> so um, straight away they're like, well, you can't, you can't do this, you know, um, let's utilise your skills. And they actually popped me into the corporate communications managerial position and that's where we, um, you know, all systems go and working from the police operations centre to, to do communications. So we were communicating with our members about operational um, things as well as our corporate members around, you know, the restrictions coming in and what did that mean? So it was very challenging, but, um, you know, teamwork and it was all hands on deck at that stage. And that's when I'm like, okay, wow. Yep. I've been totally repurposed. <laughs> that's how I knew. <laughs> Um, we're recording this discussion in late September 2020, uh, when it seems like Touchwood Victoria is very close to having the virus under control, but it's been a very long and a very hard six months, even for people who've had full-time work. Yeah. Uh, what struck you most about the change to remote working and what's been your own personal response to dealing with its challenges? Yeah, I'm probably slightly a little bit different, which is probably good for the audience. Um, I actually live in regional Victoria, so don't hold that against me. <laughs> so my experience has been slightly different, but obviously all my work is in Metro Melbourne and all my close friends sort of are in there. So the experience has been a little bit different. But again, we're still affected by the uh, restrictions in terms of nothing's open. There's nothing here we can do. We can't move around. It's exactly sort of the same anyway. Um, and the working from home experience, um, for me, you know, you'd think that you'd find it quite challenging because it's different. And, you know, everyone, when you've got a, a different way of having to do something you're so used to doing for the past however many years, you sort of get a bit anxious and you're like, oh, am I set up properly? But, you know, if you flip it on its head, and I, I try to look at things as positively as possible, is that it's a bit of a challenge and you sort of think, you know, all right, well, let's see what sort of desk setup I can, you know, have at home and, and how can I collaborate with my teammates in different ways and use the technology and be forced to learn how to use Microsoft Teams more and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I found it, like, I loved it. And I think, you know, given that I'm sort of out on the outskirts a little bit too, it's, it's been welcome to, to have this time when you're a bit anxious on, you know, outside of work that you can actually feel settled mm. quicker mm with your actual work and you're still doing your work. So you, you, you're contributing in, in just a, a different way. We're getting to a place, I guess, now where we can start to imagine what a return to work or return to normal workplace world would sort of start to look like. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think your post-COVID workplace will look the same as the pre-COVID one? Or do you think workplaces themselves will have changed after everything that's happened? In a sense, and I, I, again, from, from my perspective, given that I'm a, um, a VPS worker and with Victoria Police, you've got about 17,000, 18,000 police PSOs and PCOs. So they're very operational. They, they you know, don't even have public holidays. They work around the mm. clock. So it's very different from the public um, service perspective. I think it will be um, slightly different in a sense that the flexibility has worked for most, I would, I would presume, from my experience anyway. And I just think, you know, if it's, if it's been a positive experience, you're still getting the same or even maybe better outcomes. Um, and it, it's having a great effect on mental health and your exercise and all these different things. Mm. And obviously it's got to be a measured approach and um, monitored, all that sort of stuff. Um, I just think it will be different, but 
on the levels, it will obviously differ between departments and seniority and all that sort of stuff because some people need to be in certain places and others can continue to work from home more full time. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. And um, I'd be a huge advocate because I tell you what, sometimes you get a lot more done when people are popping in your office. <laughs> Um, let's pull back and, and talk a little bit about your own career path. What's been the path that's taken you to working at Victoria Police? It's funny because even um, when I was choosing down to my uni subjects about a career path, um, it was certainly not on the cards to work for police. Um, I never had a, a policing connection in the family or anything like that, but I loved the thought of, you know, criminology and, um, you know, forensic psychology and a bit of that. And I've never watched CSI, I swear. I've never watched it. There's no obsession with that. Um, but just little bits and pieces from criminology. And, and I thought, okay, that might be a, a really cool career path. And my, my guidance counsellor actually turned around and said, there's no jobs in it. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I'll go back to my other sort of pipe dream of working for the Geelong Football Club because I'm, you know, football tragic. So it was a bit of a mixed bag for me when I was choosing a career. But, you know, long story short, ultimately I actually did put in to, to go into a criminology course at RMIT and I actually got a place in it and I thought maybe it's meant to be and um, did all my subjects and ended up getting field placement um, with the forensic services department. And it was like, oh, my God, dream job. This is going to be amazing. And, and that sort of kick-started my path into a career with Victoria Police. And, and I'm in my 13th year now. And over those, you know, 12, 13 years, I've progressed probably every three years into a, into a different um, work area, a different role, different networks. And it's just been amazing, just the opportunities that the organisation, and I'm sure it's like this across other government departments, but police, my God, the different things you can actually do, even as a public servant, is it's just so meaningful ways to connect with the community, whether you could even be doing admin at the water police, or you could be in crime command, or you could be in forensics or in media, and you just sort of look at the different opportunities in a 22,000 strong workforce, and you're like, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've done lots of things. <laughs> The relationship between Aboriginal communities and police hasn't always been good. I wondered if that, you know, that ever posed a challenge for you in, in talking to people about the work that you're doing or the career that you have? Uh, truthfully, yeah, um, it has. And, you know, um, there's been a lot of historical uh, reasonings behind that that I'm sure, you know, you can appreciate. And it's going all the way back to settlement. Um, you know, the challenge is that police were, were used back in the day as a, as enforcers of a really damaging policy to the community. Um, and the effects are still felt today, that intergenerational trauma and, you know, um, and the historical aspect of that. But um, what I will say is, you know, coming into policing and even some of my family members, you know, sort of questioning it a little bit and all that sort of stuff is, is that if you want to make meaningful change and be contributing to helping, and I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way about it, but it's just the way I felt, is like you've got to be on the inside. Um, you've got to be in there. And, yeah. and I thought, I'll, I'll cop that, I'll take that and I'll do what I can. And I, I, there's, there's a lot of work going on that I know that I've been part of, that I know is still going on today and all that, to, to really try and genuinely build back that trust and confidence in police. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's not only for our community, it's for the community in general. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I've just, it's just got to be a really true partnership approach. And I think being part of that um, has, has been rewarding in some aspects and really challenging in others. And mm -hmm. Um, yeah. we'll continue to do what we do and hopefully be better. Yeah. Anyone who works in the public sector, I guess, has a work world and a personal world and, and you have to live and work in both those worlds, which isn't always easy. 
Um, how do you approach that sort of living in, you know, range of two couple of different worlds? Yeah, it's, and that is the key right there. It's, you know, walking that fine line between, you know, your community, your family and, and your police family or your public servant family. And yeah. I think you've just sort of got to um, be open, transparent, honest with, you know, the work you're doing, where you want to be, where you want to go and who you are and just be genuine in your approach with everything you do. And, and when I put my mind to something or do something, I do it so wholeheartedly and, you know, I commit. I, if I, you know, I do what I say, say what I do, that sort of, you know, um, and you just got to keep working hard at it. And I think that's the best way I've been able to sort of tackle it in, from my perspective is just sort of making sure that I am approachable, but I'm approaching things genuinely and, and trying to do my best. Are there people you look at and you think, yeah, you sort of admire for their ability to do that, you know, to live in different worlds and to kind of um, keep pushing forward, like you said, sort of, Relentlessly, it's a good football metaphor there. So <laughs> keep pushing the ball forward. By uh, who are able to do that? Yeah, well, everything I do is metaphor for football mm. these days. I'll, I'll just love my sport. There are plenty. And I tell you what, I'll, I'll use an example of, because um, people sort of sometimes look to the leaders and, 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 yeah, and rightfully show you should be, you know, people should be leading. And, but we should really be empowering from the community level a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I do see that and I do encourage that as much as, you know, I'm a part of anything with community. I try and make it as equal as possible and, you know, inclusive and really empowering people from the ground up. And, and with it uh, in a Victoria police context, we actually have, uh, I think 14 now community liaison officers. So Aboriginal community liaison officers, and they're out in their regions all across the state in their community. And they're walking that fine line 24 seven, I would put it, you know, cause they know what they do for work and they know where they sit in community. And, you know, I sort of look to them and I just think, the tremendous job that they do and, and I'm pretty sure across all the other um, government departments have got similar roles and they would understand and, and you just the commitment and the work and, you know, the drive they have to creating those better genuine outcomes is just really inspiring. So I, I sort of flip it down to the people that are on the front line and on the ground and trying yeah. to empower them as much as yeah. I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one experience that young people, Aboriginal people, women working in the public sector often report is that within their organisations at meetings or you know, other processes, they're often seen as being the sort of the representative of that community and that somehow people imagine they'll be able to sort of say, well, this is what young women think about this issue or this is what Aboriginal people think about that issue. Um, is yes. that experience you've had? What do you usually say in those moments? <laughs> no, it, it definitely has at times. And I just sort of think... Um, they're, they're genuinely wanting to learn. They're wanting to do the right thing. And, you know, they, and in that instance, if they are genuine with wanting to um, navigate through something they don't understand, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm happy to be there. That's why I'm there. I'm happy to advocate, educate, empower, all for that. And I, I think sometimes it, it's not so much a, a bad thing that they do do that, but um, I think it's a gen, if it's a genuine way they want to try and learn, um, yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> Mm. Um, I guess those moments probably reflect the fact that people understand that they need to try to build sort of diversity, build a, a broader understanding. But at the moment, at that moment, there's just you in the room. And I guess that question, one of the long-term public sector challenges has been, how do we build greater diversity in the sector? Um, more young people joining, more women in senior leadership roles, more mm-hmm. people working in a whole range of different roles, you know, diversity in a really big sense. 
what do you think the, the sector needs to do to, to change or what does it need to do differently if it is to become a more diverse place and, and to sort of reflect the community that it ultimately serves? I think a, a big example of that is the is self-determination. And, I mean, this can be applied to a lot of different scenarios, and I use this a lot in, in all of my community work. And this is if you're talking about, as you say, young people, um, issues that affect them, um, women, um, you know, yeah, women, young people, all those sorts of things. So, obviously, if you're wanting to build reforms or change or do things that really empower community... Um, and you're talking to your systems, your structures, your service delivery, and really reflecting aspirations of the Aboriginal community, of young people. You really need to make sure you've got the right people at the table making those decisions and being a part of all that. So I think it's about that genuine openness to have those two-way conversations with the right people and actually show a meaningful way that you're connecting with them um, and, and, you know, acknowledging that, everyone's got something to bring to the table, no matter how big or small. And it's about giving them a platform where they can be confident to actually come in and, and make a change, make a difference, no matter how big or small, no matter what their background is. It, it's about being open, transparent and really giving those genuine opportunities. Imagine that you're talking to maybe the younger you who's wondering about a career in, you know, in uh, maybe secret CSI fan. <laughs> um, so a, a young person who's thinking about, well, what sort of career would I want? Why, what would you tell them was positive about going to work in the public sector? Like what's the, what's the pitch that we, the sector should be making to attract young people into it? So a, a way that I would, you know, say to my younger self, you know, coming into a role such as the public service, you know, you've, you've really got to be confident in your knowledge and abilities and putting yourself out there because, a big thing for me is networking and I love to talk to people and learn from them and learn about their experience. And, and that actually sort of, you know, builds up my own confidence and knowledge and you, yeah. you can see yourself starting to, you know, a pathway for yourself and where you can actually see yourself reflected in particular roles. And, and you've just got to go and have a crack. And I think mm. people just doubt themselves too much. And this goes across young people. It goes across people, with different backgrounds. It's just that little bit of self doubt. And, and I think, what we can do as people in the public service and no matter, you know, where we sit or who we work for or what we do is we've got to take ownership and, and sort of take that mentorship role that if we mm -hmm. see people that are uh, thinking about a career with the public service or whether it's with Victoria police is, is to, to do these things and share our experiences and our challenges so that they're not going in blind and, you know, they're, mm. they're, they're getting a full picture approach of how you've approached something, you know, what your careers look like. And, and I think that that's something that we've got to take on um, as public servants as well and just really encourage that if it's something you want to do, um, talk to people, grow your networks and, and certainly be open to having those discussions. That brings us to the end of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives. Public Sector Perspectives is produced in Melbourne for IPA Victoria. You can find past episodes on our SoundCloud page, along with details on how to get in touch with us. I'm Nick Bastow, and thanks for listening. <laughs>